Hey, good evening, Cameron. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm really excited, and I have to say, uh, you were you were actually really really excited when I said you, you were coming on the show, and it was so nice to speak to you via WhatsApp and email. You responded very quickly, uh, and for a professional athlete who has, I'm sure, lots of things in preparation for the upcoming season, I thought it was really nice, and I think that that really is a good good show of character. Thank you so much. Well, a pleasure, but. I got. I mean, I got a soft spot for your name. I mean, it's about as close to my name as uh, as possible as Worth. Yeah, Wolfie. Yeah, Very people good. call me Worthy. So I um I thought this guy has to be a good fella. So uh, yeah, made sure I didn't miss the opportunity to um to be on your show. Very. Thank exciting. you so much. I, you know, when I, I really enjoy doing all the research and speaking then to people. And your story is just amazing. I thought it was just fantastic. Uh, what you achieved and um, we I, I prepared a little list just for everyone listening because uh, maybe they don't know really everything I researched and uh, we prepared as well a little clip so I just want to go through it rowing world champion in under 23 in 2003 you participated in the Olympics in rowing in 2004 um, between age of 13 to 22 you were very strong uh, in, in rowing then you transitioned into cycling um, for, for many years, going with, with Team Cannondale and then different teams. And then you transitioned from there into triathlon. Very successful, obviously setting the fastest bike split ever in Ironman Hawaii, winning Ironman Italy in 2019 in 746-54. Um, and now back- Oh, and don't forget, I got the run course record. That's the most, that's the thing I'm most proud of at Ironman Italy. I actually broke the run course records. My first- People sort of said that um, I'm only out there trying to break bike splits. I was like, no, I'm here to win the race. And so uh, it was quite satisfying because it was particularly the Germans that are very critical of me, of course, because they kind of control the sport. And um, Andy Booker and uh, Andreas Dreitz had won that event the last couple of years. Okay. And they are going to be big Uber bikers. So um, it was nice to not only demolish their record at the course, but um, also smash their run course records as well. So, uh, yeah, it's been quite a journey. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We have a little clip just to kind of get in the mood. And I would ask Will to maybe play the clip. Mm -hmm. Will is always doing uh, a great job. Thank you very much, Will, for, for doing this. Um, and I always see this puts a big smile on people's face when we go through the career a little bit, showing a few of the steps you have been uh, been through. Um, yeah, 
Amazing. How does this all start? How did you become such a, a machine in all the sports? Who introduced you to rowing or any kind of sports? Yeah, well, I mean, just I guess before, it's funny, you know, looking back at that stuff and you, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty incredible the journey I'm on. I don't really ever look back, you know, I, I feel like I've been so fortunate. So just, you know, the, I guess the, the, the whole triathlon part, I mean, that really never was meant to happen. It was, um, I moved, I quit, quit cycling. I wanted to work on Wall Street. So that's why I moved to the yeah. US. I wanted to work in finance. I had my economics and finance degree and I still had a contract to race the bike, but Cannondale said, you know, it's, it's better for you to have a job when you're looking for a job than, than just be unemployed. So they, they offered for me to be a, a brand ambassador for them there in the US. And, and so I had a couple of years or a year, you know, just to sort of, I guess, pooch around and figure out what I wanted to do. And um, yeah, it was at the end of that time, uh, I'd done a couple of triathlons just out of, because for fun, you know, it's pretty hard to quit sport when you've been doing it at that level for so long. Um, and I, I just really enjoyed it. And I uh, happened to be home in Australia. I'd found a place I wanted to work. So it was 2016 into 17. Um, I was riding my bike quite a bit still. I was training a lot with Richie Port. He lives in Tasmania, so we train all the time. Um, that was the first year he won Tour Down Under. And um, while he was there, Tim Kerrison ran into him and thought it said, oh, you look really fit. So well, Richie said, yeah, worse being home. And Tim, you know, and I kept in touch because he was a rowing coach back when I was rowing. So, so when I actually won the Worlds in under 23s, he was coaching another crew that also won Worlds. And then one of his athletes actually rode with me at the Olympics. And Tim wanted to coach that crew, but politics and whatever, they gave it to a, an institute coach and, and um, he missed out. So he went and worked his swimming. And then, of course, from swimming, he went to British swimming and then he went to Team Sky. So that's how the paths disappeared. So then when we got back in Rome, we kept in touch. And uh, yeah, Chris Froome was in Australia and started 2017. He was training on the Gold Coast and um, alone um, at Tim Kerrison's house. And so when Tim heard from Richie that I was just in Tassie hanging out doing not much and I was still relatively fit, he asked me to go and train with Chris. And um, so off I went to the Gold Coast for a couple of weeks, sort of figuring that'd be my last sort of sporting, what a way to go out, you know, training with the tour champ and you know, to just be a part of that, part of that, learn a bit about him and all of that. And um, we had an incredible camp. And at the end of it, you know, both Chris and Tim said, well, mate, you can't quit sport. You can't give up. I mean, you've still got something to offer. You don't want to come back to cycling. What do you want to do? And I said, well, you know what? I did a couple of Ironmans in my little couple of years away and I loved it. You know, and Tim and they both thought, you know, that's probably you seem to love training. It's probably the sport that would really, you know, benefit from just someone that loves exercising, which is what I just, just love doing. And um, yeah, so we, we started this journey and, uh, you know, obviously it's progressed. Um, and at that point we talked about me racing on the team, but of course at that point I needed to learn how to run and swim. So we're worried about racing and crashing and hurting myself or, you know, something like that and stepping me back. And as I got better at Ironman, we sort of, the whole racing on the team thing really got put on the back burner through the fear of the risk. Um, but now, as I said, you know, with my running coming along and my swimming progressing, um, it was a great, great opportunity to, um, you know, to, to, to potentially go back and do some racing at well to a level to get that, you know, just push that edge a bit more on the bike again. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's why we're here.
It's uh, <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't be even in sport. It's just uh, I pinch myself every day. So, you know, looking at that clip, you know, is just another reminder. I'm just like, wow, you know, like what a journey. But to me personally, it feels like I've just been, I got this second, third, fourth, fifth, I don't even know what number chance it is in sport. And um, I just want to take it with both hands and grab it with both hands. And, um, and uh, you know, they say, you know, squeeze like a tube of toothpaste. You know, the more you squeeze it, the more you're going to get out of it. So at the moment, I'm just trying to get everything I possibly can out of my body and the rest of my um, sporting career. It's, it's amazing. But where did it start? Was your family sporty? Where did you develop? I think you really love training. I think this makes you as well so good. Yeah. You really enjoyed it. But how did it all start? Yeah, I mean, I grew up on a tiny island. Uh, it's, you draw a triangle from, from Sydney to Brisbane. You go out into the ocean, Lord Howe Island. There's, it's about 10, oh, 14K long and half a kilometer wide. There's 300 people that live there, 30 kids at the school. And I went, you know, I was there from when I was about five or six till I was 12. But my grandparents lived there. And so I used to go there all the time for holidays as well. But there you ride your bike everywhere or you walk, you don't wear shoes. You know, you're in the water, you're climbing trees. I mean, I was, I was working as a seven-year-old um, collecting palm seeds. I used to climb the palm trees, collect the palm, the Kentia palms. You probably see a lot of them in Dubai, actually, in hotels and things. Mm -hmm. They're quite an exotic sort of tree. Big yes. industry in, uh, was the main industry on Lord Howe Island. And being little and, and quite fearless, that the more experienced guys, the older guys, they'd pick out all the little trees, all the really skinny ones at the top that they couldn't climb and they'd let me climb them because, you know, for the regeneration, it's best to get the seeds off them. So I used to, I mean, I remember at seven years old, I was making, you know, a couple of thousand dollars a year climbing palm trees, which at that age, you feel like you're just rolling in the money. And fortunately, I saved it and um, my parents let me save it. And, um, and so, yeah, growing up there, I guess you, you're into everything. You know, you ride to school, you ride home, then you ride to the beach and then you go for a swim or you go for a surf and then you race home again. And, you know, you're just charging around all the time. And, um, but when the elite side of the dreams, the aspirations, and, you know, all through that period of my life, I, I love sport in general. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to be a MotoGP rider. I wanted to drive Formula One. I wanted to be, win the Masters in golf. I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer, all this. I, there was no, it didn't matter what the sport, I just wanted to be good at sport. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be the best at everything. And, um, but it was when I actually moved, I moved back to Tasmania for high school and we had a, there was a guy from Tassie. He won gold in 92 in rowing, incidentally, in the double skull and Lake Banyola. So pretty close to me here in uh, Andorra, down in, uh, down in Girona. And that was a huge thing. Um, and I'd followed that even from Lord Howe Island, like being a Tasmanian, I you know, followed the Olympics, of course, and knew, knew all about that. And he wanted, he quit that and was getting into abalone diving. And my dad had pioneered that industry. So my dad was, you know, I guess the man of abalone diving. And as successful people tend to do, they find the best, you know. And so Stephen all of a sudden was at a house, you know, quite often meeting with dad and or having dinner with us and you know they'd be looking at maps he'd be showing him where he should dive and what he does with this and really I guess mentoring him would be the word and mm -hmm. for me that was such an eye-opener because you got this icon you know a guy that was like I Olympic gold medalist to me are like the greatest you know <laughs> sportsman on the planet as, as a kid you're sitting there watching your dad you know teaching him and um 
And I was just like, you know, what it taught me was, wow, he's, he's just, he's just like the rest of us, you know, he, he learns, he works hard and, um, and succeeds. And so at that point I'd never rode in my life, but I wanted to go to the Olympics in rowing. <laughs> So um, that's what started that journey. But uh, I never really, to be honest, actually liked rowing. It was just I wanted to go to the Olympics in rowing. And I guess that, you know, the results leading up to the Olympics or whatever I had to do, I was, well, as I said, world cha- and, you know, smashed the world championships. But once I got to the Olympics, I kind of lost my way a bit. We, we really fell apart. We had a terrible regatta. And, yeah, I, it was such a huge step up and I wasn't ready for that. And, um, and then I tried to obviously go into Beijing. We did the Worlds a couple more years. We're actually fourth in 2006. But by that point, I'd realised that I wasn't into the sport at all. And um, and uh, and it was time to probably think about a career. Um, and um, yeah, I used to when we we're in Italy training, I used to see Cadell Evans and Ivan Basso riding around on their bikes and I thought wow that looks like a good job <laughs> and so um yeah I I went home and um said I'm not going to row anymore I got on the bike and uh, a few years later I was even Basso's teammate so pretty incredible you know the way it all just sort of evolved you know it just sort of rolled into another um yeah it, this this sounds like a fairy tale, really. It, it, mm. it you make it sound so easy, and you say, oh, "I was a little boy. I was sitting with someone who won the gold medal." And yeah. Then I think, okay, I, I should go to the Olympics, and I, it, it's just amazing. I think it really shows. And what I really love about the show is speaking to people and say, "Listen, dream the dream, mm. work for it as hard as you can, and yeah. and you're maybe able to achieve it." Yeah, and at least at least you, you're trying. But this is just un, unreal. Yeah, what you have achieved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. That's the biggest thing. I mean, it, it, they say it's impossible to imagine something that isn't possible. And, um, but I, I really think that uh, I've been so fortunate my whole career. I've been around the best of the best all the time, you know, and I even am now. And um, even with my running, you know, I was, I was at Red Bull in 2017 after Kona and we were talking about the race and what had happened and uh, in LA and, uh, and they said, oh, what do you guys got planned for the running? And at that point, you know, Tim was sort of, I mean, I, I had, I came from zero background. So any running at that point was a, was a progression, you know? And um, I said, well, we haven't really thought about that. You know, we've got obviously, but he was an Olympic swimming physiologist. So he has friends, you know, the world's best swimming coaches all over the world that he can call anytime, wherever we are and say, you know, can we can Cameron come and jump in with you and, and learn you know help him learn to swim and that's been you know so fortunate that's meant that I've been able to develop quite quickly in swimming um, but um, the running was one thing that we were scratching our heads a bit with and yeah they just said oh well, we know these guys at Nike and next thing I'm on the phone with um, uh, with Brett Kirby and Brad Wilkins who did the who were the ones behind the Breaking Two project the initial one with Kipchoge and said well wow you know what a great project for us you know we're always looking for a great project and obviously you know took me under their wing and um and yeah just been working obvious i mean working that closely in that last year kipchoge's major objectives sort of lined up perfectly with mine i did ironman australia at the end of may or beginning of may sorry which was about the same date or a week apart from the london marathon and then the breaking when he did the 159 project, that was the same weekend as Kona. 
And so what they basically did was we did the exact same key workouts. He obviously did a lot of extra running and obviously different faces and whatever, but as far as the structure goes, they're identical. And, um, and I would obviously run and swim, you know, in there as well. Sorry, ride and swim. And I remember it was about two or three weeks before Ironman Italy. And we both had a two hour run. So it would have been about four weeks before Kona, five weeks. And we had a two hour run and um, Brett sent me a screenshot after the great job. You know, I up here, I did a rolling run. I did about 30 K averaged about four minute kilometer pace, which we felt if I could do that at this sort of, you know, altitude and terrain, then that was pretty much where I'd run a marathon, which it turned out it was, it was 245. Um, and Elliot, he ran 40.2 kilometers in the same time, <laughs> you know? So you, 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 um, you think you're going well, you feel like you're going great. And he's gone and run 10 K further in the same session. And uh, you just scratch your head thinking, yes. whoa. <laughs> so I never get an opportunity right now to ever become complacent. I mean, today okay. I, I got up, I went running this morning, did, just 12k on the treadmill and then met Pavel Sivakov uh, for a ride. We did five hours. Well, we did four and a half. I stopped at the swimming pool. I swam for an hour and then I rode home. And um, yeah, it's a bit, seems like pretty, you know, if I stop and think, wow, I can't believe I just did that today. But, you know, you're just surrounded by all these incredible champions that, you know, it just reminds me, look, this ain't easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And um, you should be doing stuff that you would think is not possible because you're trying to do something that hasn't been done before. You know, you want to be the best. You've got to do something that no one's done. And so, um, and so it's, uh, I've surrounded myself with pretty incredible, um, you know, team, I guess, um, which, you know, obviously encompasses Ineos and, and everyone there, you know, obviously particularly Tim, Kerrison, um, and, and then of course the guys at Nike who, you know, have just been so incredible to me with, with the running. So, um, yeah, really, really fortunate. I heard this once that somebody said you should surround yourself with five inspirational people and that will just lift you up. And it looks like you have 50 people around you who are your inspiration. And, and, uh, that, that's, that's an outstanding story. You raised Tim Reed in your first triathlon was this on the island is yeah is that was on the island yeah so tim reed you know obviously a world champion at yeah. 70.3 distance in 20 2016 yeah. um yeah he and i grew up he went we went to school of those 30 kids two mm -hmm. of us what you know nearly five five percent <laughs> the school was tim reed and i seven percent and um yeah we used to well right when we did race our first triathlon together and uh, but it was pretty funny. We, we swam, you know, stroke for stroke. Um, and then on the bike, I actually had a bit of a gap on him and, um, and my bike, my gear, my chain came off. Something happened. Anyway, I, I was rolling along and he, he was coming up behind me and I looked over and I saw it. I was passing one of the other hotels and everyone has bikes there. So there's bikes everywhere. And so I just <laughs> dropped my bike, grabbed someone else's <laughs> jump back on him <laughs> and, uh, we started the run together but he he ran away from me he was he's a better runner than me now and he was definitely a better runner than me back then <laughs> so um yeah i'll never forget it though we'll both never forget it but since then i've had 
I've had the wood on him. I've been able to beat him, uh, you know, both times in Kona or, and, um, oh, actually three times now in Kona we've raced. And then obviously last year in Australia, Ironman Australia, we had a bit more of a battle, um, which was great. Um, and, uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, we, we go back a long way. So it's, it's pretty, you know, pretty amazing for, for us to both be, I guess, you know, the two at the top of the sport in Australia now, you yeah. know, coming from such a small place and, you know, we're, we're obviously very close friends and, um, you know, there's obviously nothing I wouldn't do for him except right. when the race starts. When the race is on. <laughs> In yeah. fact, I even I even took I even got he wanted some special pair of Nikes for the race, and um, yeah, you can't they're hard to get, and uh, obviously I've got access to them, and so I actually took some back for him to us to Ironman Australia, and you know when he was starting to run me down that last lap, I was like, I should not have done that, <laughs> but fortunately I held on, so it was okay. <laughs> You trained as well with Richie Port, and I heard that there was a Frappuccino, Starbucks Frappuccino story uh, as a special drink um, after for, for a 300 kilometer ride. So that's that's one of the secrets. Yeah, so in Australia, so that was his birthday. We met really early one morning and we sort of planned a loop. I had about 300k in mind. He sort of, I guess, he never told me how far he thought we'd go, but we sort of mapped out a 200k loop and then got to that point oh we may as well go there and then and then i sort of knew that if we went this way it'd at least be 360 and then when i thought if we went that far then we may as well do the extra bit and do 400 which is what we ended up doing but around halfway when you've been eating and you know you've been on the bike for five, six hours or so you know you start getting a bit sick of fuel and, and richie just for some i don't know how he read about it or he pretended he maybe he'd been doing it for years <laughs> He didn't tell me. He said, oh, these iced coffees. And in Australia, they weren't Starbucks ones there. They were um, Farmers Union or, or Icebreak. And I don't know, but Australia just do the best, you know, milk, ice milk drinks or ice chocolates or honeycomb or any of those flavors. They just taste better than anywhere else in the world. And so that's all we had. They got a lot of sugar in them, electrolytes and fat. And, and we were just buzzing for the second 200K. No dramas. And um, so then when I had to do my first Ironman, I was like, I mean, I, yeah, to put that in perspective, two weeks before I had no intention of ever doing an Ironman. I was at an event for Cannondale. There was a speaker. His name was, um, oh, um, what was his name? Oh, it'll come to me. Anyway, he had cerebral palsy and um, he'd done Kona a couple of years before. And he broke 27 bones in his feet. Uh, Paddock, Donna pa uh, Bonapaddock, Bonapaddock was his name. And he broke 27 bones in his feet. And he still had two healing two years later. And I sat there and I'd always wanted to do an Ironman. I mean, one day I thought oh, that'd be a pretty cool thing to do. Um, and I was like, wow, like literally anyone does these things. I mean, that's like his story is incredible, but. You know, you know of stories of all just sorts of random, you see the tattoos on people. And um, I said to Cannondale, the, the marketing people, I said, are you guys doing any activation or anything at a race, an Ironman at any time that I could jump in and do? And um, they said, yeah, we're actually doing one in two weeks. But don't be stupid, Cameron, like train for it. You know, try and do it properly. I was like, don't be stupid. I mean, I just, I just want to do one. So anyway, they let me do it. And so, yeah, I had no idea what to do. So I only had that sort of experience from a long, long day. 
And I thought it could have taken me 12 hours. I had no idea. 14 hours, I didn't know how long I'd take. I'd never run that far. And um, anyway, so I just put a, a, night, a frappuccino, I, the Starbucks, the caramel frappuccino. I put one in my swim transition bag. So I got out of the water, sat down, drank it. I saw people like rushing to get all dressed. I'm there sitting there having a drink. And then on the bike, I, um, I rode through pretty much the entire field by one of the men's pro, one of the male pros. So you start way, way back as the age group. So I rode through all the women, almost caught the front of the race and um, got to T2. And again, sat down and I was having a drink. They got, the cameras are thinking, what is this guy doing? And then, uh, and then I even had another one in my special needs bag on the run, halfway through the run. I ended up coming, I think I was top 10 overall. I was, I think I was eighth or ninth. And um, obviously I was the first age grouper. And, and then that was when I qualified for Kona. And I was like, wow, yeah, absolutely I'm going. I mean, that's another bucket list thing. I never dreamed of that opportunity. So did that. And, um, but, you know, as fate would have it, I don't know if Bonner jinxed me or whatever, but uh, I, yeah, I broke my foot two weeks later. <laughs> so I rocked up at Kona with a broken foot. <laughs> so, yeah. I really got to not feel what he goes through, but at least I kind of know what it's like to do kind of with a broken foot. <laughs> okay. And then obviously um, the, the famous fastest spike split in 409, 320 watts uh, for, 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 the, for the event. But you race sometimes without the power meter. Is this uh, correct? Um, well, it's always on the bike. Uh, okay. In 2017, it was on there. It didn't work. Um, they tried to sync it up they wanted to have it so they could have the coverage so it could go on. And I don't know what happened, but the, anyway, they managed to make sure that I didn't have power. I don't know if, the, if they could read it, but I didn't have power. So I had no idea in 2017 what was going on. That was why I stayed with Lionel and Kinlay for so long um, because I was like, I don't really have much of a reference apart from heart rate here. <clears throat> so stay with them as long as I can. And, and then, you know, when I felt like, you know, the pace was dropping off. That was when I pushed on and obviously got off the bike. Well, that was when I set the record first. Um, but then, yeah, the second year, yeah, I don't, I certainly don't look at power. I don't use power as a barometer. I, I, I'm more concerned about how fast I go. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter if you get to the end and say, oh, I averaged 350 watts, but I rode four and a half hours. Well, it doesn't really <laughs> help you. So um, I have always have an idea of what average speed I think is possible on the course. I mean, it's pretty easy to get that sort of information these days and yes. um, keep an eye on my heart rate and sort of know what I can do there. And, you know, if that's starting to get a bit out of control, then I have a look at power and see what that's saying. And obviously if I'm way above what I know I'm capable of doing, I always have the average there. So I kind of know roughly what I've been doing over the course of the duration. Um, then I'll, I'll adjust things, but um, yeah, it, it's amazing that I don't look at it and it's inadvertently, no matter what the course is, no matter what time of year, within, you know, five to 10 watts um, all the time, you know, 310, 320, 300, you know, somewhere around there. It's uh, it's amazingly consistent for the fact that I don't take any notice until I download it later. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, there was one in 2018. That was the best one, best bike split I've ever done. Uh, I'm in Zurich and Ronnie Shieldnick in the press thing, he'd said someone, one of, the pre one of them asked me, they said, what do you think you'll ride on the bike here? And I said, oh, well, you know, I think there's, about the same amount of climbing as Kona. So 
oh, you know, I think around 4.15. You know, I think I'd ridden 4.12 or, or whatever in Kona. And Ronnie goes, oh, oh. he had the bike record at that point. He said, yeah, if you break, break 4.20, I give you my watch or my car or something, you know, like he said, as if you could do that. Anyway, I rode 4.14. I think I averaged 3.26 or nearly 3.30 watts. But I remember you, you know how you press the stop button at the end and it'll and then save to save the ride because I, sometimes I've lost the data where the battery's gone flat or whatever and you've tried to turn it on and whatever, it disappears. And um, anyway, so I started getting the habit of stopping it and saving it before I racked the bike. And it said I needed four days rest. <laughs> and, and i still had to run a marathon <laughs> anyway but the craziest part was that was the first day that I ever broke three hours for the marathon i ran a 258 yeah. Yeah. yeah so um yeah anyway i don't now i don't care if i lose the data i lose the data i definitely don't stop it and save it because i don't want to see <laughs> what it tells me <laughs> what rest i need so did you yeah. get his watch or did you get his car or what did he give you at the end yeah, he was really embarrassed. He got smashed in the race for starters. And, you know, he'd won that thing 10 times, a bit of the king of, and was always the king on the bike. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's the funny thing about these guys. They carry on. The ones that were uber bikers, I think they, I think what infuriates them most about me is the fact that I couldn't care less about the bike split. I mean, I'm trying to win the race. You know, I, I mean, I don't, you don't stick around in sport for as long as me for doing little egotistical you know stunts like that so um i don't need to be doing sport i mean i, I i'd ha i'd be happily working on wall street as i said um, mm -hmm. or now i mean a huge amount of opportunities i get all the time you know who i meet around the world and mm -hmm. different things so you know I'm, I'm doing this now because i want to be the best in the sport so um yeah so i think that i think that annoys i think i'm well i'm not trying to kill the uber biker thing but i'm just it's a triathlon. You're trying to be the best swim bike runner in the on the planet, then, and the winner should be the guy that's the best at all, not <laughs> you know. So I'm um, I'm very paranoid about making a huge effort to improve my swimming and running to to prove that I'm you know good at everything. I heard that the first race this year with Ineos was the Cadel Evans uh, Great Ocean Race, yeah. and after the finish, you you decided to put on your running shoes and run twenty or. I think it ended up being almost 30 kilometers. Yeah, I got lost. Um, I made a wrong turn and uh, I was coming up to this sign. And I was thinking I should say five to, and said 15. But as fate would have it on that corner, there was a gas station. So I went in and had one of Richie's trusty uh, iced milks and <laughs> um, yeah, and a Coke, I think as well. Quite a combination, a Coke and a milk. <laughs> and uh, It was a stinking hot day. Obviously, I just raced my first world tour race in six years and so i was i was pretty cooked but that was um that was part of the deal you know i mean i'm on the team yeah i mean so you know back to the team part i guess sorry to jump around but you know yeah. i spoke to dave Brailsford. i i went to the team camp which is the whole team in december in mallorca which i'd never been to before normally i'm just at camps with the guys because i wasn't officially a part of the team although you know for now the a few years the team have done or the, you know, the a guy there Carson Jefferson who's in charge of all their partnerships has done all my contracts and that's why everything is lined up with the team um, it's not like I'm hidden or anything but I just haven't been around everyone so I was at the main camp and I guess I got along get along quite well with everyone and had an opportunity to sit down with Dave and have a chat 
about Kona and everything else. And, you know, and we actually discussed the possibility of, of racing. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I train with the guys all the time. I feel like I'm, you know, at a reasonable level. I said, I think one, one thing of value I feel like I could potentially be to the team is that I'm ready to go anytime. You know, if you're a guy short, I feel mm-hmm. like I can do a better job than going without a guy. You know, I don't think I'm going to be the first one dropped. I think I can at least get bottles right in the wind, you know, be a support or, or whatever. And if there's a spot, you know, that you want there for me, um, I'm, I'd love to do it. And, um, but obviously Kona's still my number one goal at the end of the year. And he said that, you know, that sounds great. Uh, you know, you're always with the guys, you get along well with them. Often t- Tim will say, you're going, you know, cameras are going really, really well. It'd be great if we could take him to a race. So, you know, let's give that a crack. And um, anyway, yeah, the first race was, um, well, the team was full at that point. So I was more talking about next year. We were going to be planning on doing that. And then Kirianka retired. And so straight away, they just put me on the team. And um, and then it was like, well, we got to see where he's at straight away. <laughs> and um, and uh, so, yeah, the first race that was available was Cadell's. It was six days away. I was in L.A., got all the paperwork done, flew me to Australia, and obviously I was on the start line. But the deal was that after every race with the team, provided there wasn't any travel problems or whatever, and Tim even Tim Kerris had even said, we'll even adjust your travel schedule if needed, you have to do a minimum half marathon. So if it's like the last, if it's a one-day race, you do it after the race, or if it's a stage race, okay, you can wait till the end of the stage race. But minimum half marathon. So... Um, that was the deal with Cadell's is uh, get to the finish and then um, put your shoes on and, uh, and run back to the hotel. And um, yeah. And then I did the same in Algarve after the time trial, you know, I didn't, I wasn't high on GC. So I was finished pretty early on. So I had time to go for a run and get back and still watch Rowan uh, the finish and the other guys and, um, and uh, got my half marathon in there. So um yeah, it's, how, was it to be back? how was it to be back on the first uh, race? And obviously, it was a quite an intense race. Uh, so there was a lot of kind of uh, action going on right from the beginning. I think you were trying to break the race apart. But how yeah. different is the world to a to training for triathlon? And how was it to be back? And obviously, you needed to show that you're really uh, worthy for Ineos. And, yeah. and how did you feel? Oh, yeah. I mean, exactly. You hit the hammer on the head there. I mean, far out. You it's the best team in the world, you know, and, and, and as much as I had thought about, it, you know, the previous years being around the guys thinking that'd be great. When it actually happens, you, and you turn up at a race and it was interesting. You said you had Andre Greifel on last week and, you know, he was probably the first person I ran into at the hotel. And uh, when I walked in and he, you know, he was said, Oh, it's so great to have you back. I follow Conan every year. It's so good to see. He said, I know I'm German, but it's great to see you getting closer and putting pressure on those guys. And, you know, that sort of really helped break the ice, to be honest, um, that one of my peers who I always looked up with, always had a great relationship with him when we were racing, when I was racing before, Adam Hansen, one of his you know, longtime teammates, great friends with. Um, yeah, so, you know, it was it was pretty cool. And then, but then being in the dining room and everything and seeing everyone sort you could tell everyone was looking at you. It's like, worth back. What the hell is worth doing back? You know, because like, no one leaves the world tour and then five years later just <laughs> walk back in with the biggest team in the world. But in my mind, I mean, I, I didn't leave because I wasn't good enough. I, I wanted to leave the sport. I mean, so it wasn't that 
I didn't, I never thought, oh, I'm not good enough to race the world tour. I just thought, well, look, I want to go and do something else with the productive years of my life. I didn't feel like the effort I was putting into cycling was, I was getting what I, what I feel like I should have been getting as far as I was missing something. I mean, I was working my ass off, but I just didn't know how to race or maybe it was the wrong team environment, which probably it was a combination of both. Um, but time away gives you a chance to look at things subjectively. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've got a much better idea of what's going on. So whew, I was so nervous um, the start of that race and we knew there'd be crosswinds. Mm -hmm. And so I lined up, I was, I mean, there was literally, I was pushing the, pushing the commissaire's car on the back wheel. I was so close. I was right on his bumper. And um, as soon as the, uh, as the flag dropped, I just stayed parked right on the front and, um, and then we knew that after about 2K, there was a left-hand corner and there was going to be wind. And there's a wonderful photo and Andre's in it. And uh, we come around that corner and I'm on the front on the right and Luke Rose right behind me, who's the king of crosswinds. Gripe was on my left. And uh, Luke's like, right, Murphy, let's go. And first thing I was like, I'd forgotten about an, how to ride an echelon. I'd forgotten which, which side of the road. So I kind of took a punt and guessed, fortunately got it right and uh, did a massive first turn. And I noticed no one rolled over me. And apparently it was, apparently from what I was told, it was quite a strong pull and it ripped the bunch, you know, apart straight away. And um, then guys started throwing through. And you can always tell how good a move is. One thing I remember is by the quality of the riders that come up through after mm -hmm. you. So to see Andre come through, all of my teammates, Mads Pedersen, the world champion, mm -hmm. Daryl Impey, you know, I was like, oh, this is, we're on here. Exactly. You know? and, um, <laughs> and yeah, it blew into, you know, a bunch of groups. And so it ended up coming back together, but obviously it made the race extremely hard from the start, which was our goal because we didn't have a sprinter. And um and so once it finally did settle down after about 50k or so and everyone kind of got back, one guy that got spat out was Ilya Viviani and, and all of his teammates pretty much. And he and I were great, were teammates. And, and I did a lot of races with him. Um, and he, a lot, all of his, probably a lot of his wins, or most, you know, all these big wins, you know, and um, his first win. And, you know, I was there for most of his races when we were at Liquid Gas. And so... He came up to me, he's like, oh, Worf, I was in the back and I knew it was you on the front. I was thinking, oh, fucking Worf, why did he come back? And, uh, so, um, you know, that really broke the ice and, and made me feel like, you know what, you know, I, 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 you know, I deserve to be here. You know, I'm not, I'm not a joke. You know, I'm not a joker. I'm, I'm good enough to raise at this level and, um, and my peers respect me and, uh, you know, my teammates obviously respect me. We ended up having a great day that day. We did blow the race apart again in the crosswinds. Sivakov was second, you know, and, and Dylan Van Baal was fifth. Um, so, you know, that was a great way to get, you know, get things started. It, it really worked out really well. So, but yeah, certainly it wasn't lost on me, the magnitude of, of what was going on. And um, I wanted to make sure that I let everyone know that, uh, you know, I deserve my spot here. I'm not, you know, there's oh, no free kicks. You deserve your spot with the, the training. Obviously, you were with Chris Froome, and, and I think he was training very, very hard, and and you were just capable of, of following him, and I think that must have earned you already a lot of respect that they even kind of consider you, because obviously there's only 30 riders in a team, yeah. and, and just to be selected, to be on the kind of waiting list and then getting into the team, 
This is this is unheard of. I've never heard a story like it. Yeah, no, neither have I. But for some reason in my mind, it was never a case of if, but when it would happen, you know, and, and also it was like the right timing. As I said, we talked about a long couple of years ago, but then it was, look, I need to learn to run and swim. I don't need to improve my cycling at the moment. So, and then as that improved, we sort of really stopped even talking about it because it's like, look, Cameron's running's going great. Swimming's going great. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Um, it just felt, felt like the right time, but, you know, the, the big, I really suffered those first couple of races. I mean, it, it's one thing to train. So I've spent now five years and the last three training, obviously at a very high level on the bike, you know, with these guys at, at times, I really only train hard on the bike when I'm with them. So mm. it's kind of a bit of a booster on the bike. And then you go away, kind of try and maintain it, go back into the camp environment, big booster. When I'm not with the team, I'm focusing really on the others. And, um, so it's always controlled, if that makes sense, you know, and, and also in Ironman from since the start, I've really been, I guess, reasonably dominant um, on the bike, particularly sector, putting myself in a position. So I'm, I'm really racing my own kind of race. And um, so getting back in the world to a Peloton where there's guys attacking and you've got to follow and surging and moving and you can't just go, oh, look, no, I'm over my power. or I'm feeling a bit of fatigue. I've got to go a bit easier here. You know, because I'm constantly thinking in an Ironman, you're balancing a range of things. You want to go fast, but you got to know you got to run. You know, you know you got to eat. You know, so you, it's always a, a bit of a trade-off. And yes. um, having those thoughts in a bike race don't help you because <laughs> you've got to go as fast as the guy at the front. And uh, that really hurt. You know, the first few, you know, the, mm -hmm. in Cadell's that I was burning like there's no tomorrow after 10k. I mean, I had no idea how I was going to make it to 12K, let alone 15K, let alone 20K, let alone to the finish circuits, you know. And um, it just was a real eye-opener to know, to realise, I guess, how specific my my engine had become to, to what I was doing in Ironman, which is, I guess, the reason I'm one of the better guys in the sport mm -hmm. compared to another elite sport. And that's how it should be, you know. I mean, it should be, it should be like that. Um, so having said that, we feel that if now we can add that element back into on top of, you know, it should make me better all round, not just on the bike, but the one yes. thing we found when I was the week after the last, the first two races I did was my running was much better. I was running quicker. I felt like I was doing it easier because it kind of opened me up again. It taught me how to really suffer, you know, which is something that I really haven't done for a number of years because you're constantly on that. Oh, look, I've got to swim this afternoon. Oh, I've got to run this afternoon. Oh, I've got to ride tomorrow. You know, whereas now I'm just like, I'll get through today's session, worry about tomorrow when I wake up, you know, like, <laughs> so, yeah, very different um, mind space I'm in. And, uh, and the racing has, you know, just clearly crystallized all that for me, you know, probably an area where I can improve a lot you know, mentally. And so, um, yeah. How different is Ineos and the whole Ineos experience from the team camp, from the support you're getting? Obviously, we hear the stories about their own pillows and chefs and, and the whole the whole setup. How professional compared to other teams you have been racing before? How professional is Ineos? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously that's you know hard to compared to that era. I mean, just mm -hmm. worlds apart. Uh, because back then yeah, Ineos had a chef and a couple of other teams started having them. We even had them for a couple of just the big races. 
Um, you know, whereas Ineos will do it every race, every camp, you know, the, the physios, masseurs, you know, the, the, the specialists, in the, you know, chiropractors, all of that for, for your treatment. Um, but the biggest thing that I find, you know, is the difference is the passion of every single person in the staff. And Dave Brailsford, you know, I mean, obviously people say what they like about that guy. He is an incredible leader and he works his ass off. And that means that from him, every all the way, and you don't want to use the word down, but all the way through the team, you know, across every single person, that work ethic is quite infectious. And from an athlete's perspective, um, and I guess I can really, I really feel this because I wasn't even racing on the road. I was going off to Ironmans. But, you know, genuine, generally, when I go to a race, I've generally been with the team, you know, or at least a few of the guys um, in the lead up to my Ironman. And um, I don't want to go and suck. You know, I mean, these everyone works so hard that you just feel a real accountability of, wow, they're putting in, I'm going to put in. But it's not even just on race day, it's training. You know, I mean, you wake up in the morning and it's all there and it's done for you. You, you feel a real... Um, desire and I mean responsibility is not the right I, well responsibility for sure but that's not the right word because it's your job um, but you feel a real desire to go out every day and work your ass off and because everyone on the team is doing that and yeah so let's face it riders leave the team they take knowledge staff leave the team they take knowledge I mean there's a lot of most teams have the same resources if not more um, but you cannot replace that passion and um and that work ethic of everyone and when you've got that collective work ethic it just makes a champion team um which i think is clearly evident when you look at how many guys have won the tour de france in the last eight years you know four different guys it's um and and this year who knows maybe Pavel Sivakov might win, you know, like a fifth guy. <laughs> so, um, and it's, uh, and I, that's what I love about it. I read a great book from good to great. And it's really about that. It's about, um, you know, you have people that are incredible leaders, but once they're done, nothing sort of happens, you know, or, or, or good workers within an organization. But then, you know, once they go, things sort of fall off. But from good to great, like a good team to a great team, means that sort of no matter who you put in there will thrive and prosper. And, uh, and I feel like on Ineos, you know, they, they're very good. They, they don't tend to sign massive champions. They, they create them and, and, and they're not even sometimes the names you'd think, but they fit with the system. You know, they, they work hard and um, I guess appreciate that work ethic of the team and uh, go out there on race day and, and commit and put in and, um, training as well every day and so uh yeah i think that's the big difference with Ineos. fantastic do you row sometimes still for training or is rowing off the of the list <laughs> yeah no i haven't i want to i'd love to i'd love to uh my wife actually she's from uh, the east coast of of the u.s um in uh, um, pennsylvania uh yeah pennsylvania near pittsburgh and um and there's a, yeah, lives on a beautiful lake, about a hundred K of shoreline and just looks like one of the massive lakes we used to row on in Tassie. And every time I'm there, I wish I had a rowing boat. So I will get one at some point. I've just ordered a rowing machine. 
Um, I've still got one in my house in Tasmania, so I, I jump on that when I'm home in Tassie, which isn't that much these days. But yeah. when I'm in LA and I'm at the gym, I'll often jump on the own machine just to warm up or just for fun, just to make sure I can still feel it because, um, yeah, I, I, I love it. And, and truth be told, I mean, I'm not ruling out that I won't end up back rowing at some point. I mean, <laughs> how could I? <laughs> I mean, I, I've gone through all the sports and here I am now back racing my bike. Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be naive for me to say that I haven't thought about going back to rowing at some point. Maybe Bradley Wiggins and you in a scully. Well, Tim Kerrison's talked about Rowan Dennis and I in the double. He okay. thinks it would be a great wow. combination. So, um, yeah, that's... Uh, that's a little sort of project, you know, okay. that may or may not ever transpire, but it's fun to think about it anyway. <laughs> if it happens, people have heard it here first. So that's good. Exactly true. I, mean, I probably haven't said it anywhere else. So, um, yeah. Okay. yeah. Do you feel that what you learned in rowing, uh, obviously about the technique and you have to be very stable on the board and you have to maybe write uh, or you row with two or four people, you have to keep the same, same technique all the time. Do you feel that transferred into your triathlon, into your time trialing and all these things? No. Um, what, what I think, where, where it's helpful, I guess, is swimming is understanding the concept of movement through the water. There's no doubt there's okay. something there which is which has made me, given me a chance to learn quickly. You know, I mean, I guess in terms of the level I can swim at already um, compared to guys that have swum their whole lives. Um, so obviously having that feel for the water has definitely contributed, but the, you know, people always ask what I, which sport, I mean, I always have to say that rowing is the, is the foundation for everything for me because it was, it was the first thing I did. And I certainly referenced that with suffering, um, you know, pain, like, uh, you know, often yesterday I was, I was doing some threshold work and I was into the last three minutes and I actually said to myself, I said, Come on, Worthy, you've done the last K of a rowing race feeling way worse than this. Lots and lots of times, you know, just grit your teeth and all of a sudden it didn't feel so bad. And um, so there's certainly those moments. But, you know, in rowing, yeah, as you say, you've got to be in cruise. And I think being in a team sport, that's where you the learning how to deal with people and get the most out of people, I think, is a skill that, and I think that's probably potentially where Ineos is, you know, you know, you think about if you look at who I've spent the most time with over the past few years and their performances in that time, um, I'm certainly not saying that I'm the reason, but I feel like I've been a part of it, you know, mm -hmm. and um, and I think that could be just the, the conversations we have in training. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, um, Pavel Zivikov, for example, the last couple of years, I've spent a lot of time with him. It's been wonderful to see. He lives a couple hundred meters down the road. So we train together, you know, when we're both here every day and um, but of course, you know, Geraint, I started spending a lot of time with him at the start of 2018 and, you know, it's been pretty incredible since and threw me in 2017 and that was obviously when he finally won the tour in the Giro, the Vuelta back-to-back -back, and then went and won the Giro. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think those skills that I learnt then in rowing, you know, of getting the most out of different personalities because at the end of the day, you've all got the same goal. You want to go as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. I think that that team aspect... It's probably the biggest help in cycling, you know, being able to um, be there for your mates and uh, and get the most out of them. Just say the right thing to them at the right time, um, because in rowing, obviously, you live and die by your crew. So, um, you know, you you want everyone firing on all cylinders. Yeah, but um, 
yeah, from a work ethic perspective, you know, you it's you know you're up five o'clock in the morning and there's a bunch of mates, bunch of your, your crew that are there doing the same thing. And if you sleep in, they're all waiting for you. I mean, you just can't do it. You know, it just it's not an option. It's not an option to say, oh, look, I'm just not going to come to training today. Mm-hmm. You're letting down all these people. So being aware of stuff like that, you know, is just such great things to learn so early on. Um, and I think now also, you know, when I, today I trained three times, that's pretty, like trained three times yesterday. Uh, tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow i got to train three times again. Um, when you come from rowing, it's not such a big deal because you get up in the morning, you go rowing, yeah, you might go home and have a sleep, but then you'll go to the gym, you know, maybe do weights and then you'll probably go and row again or you'll get on the rowing machine in the afternoon or both. I mean, you, you training, you know, yeah, you might be training for six hours straight like a cyclist would, but you're training for six hours a day, but broken up day after day, you know? Yeah. So I think even that side of it prepared me well for, for, for what I'm doing, what I did in cycling, but probably more so now um, where I literally the whole day is dedicated to, to sport recovery and, and fueling the dragon, making sure there's fuel in the tank. That's, that's the toughest part when you've got multiple sessions is, is getting food in to keep you going. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan of rowing and certainly encourage any kid that says they're keen to get into it. I think it's a great sport. Do you feel, obviously, when cyclists always hang around with cyclists and you have a certain idea how many hours a day you can train or, or not and even try leads, maybe have a certain mindset and you have seen now three different sports that you learn from, from rowing, the level of intensity, the level of duration for training, and, and that you will bring something obviously to Ineos, which was not there before. And obviously when your colleagues see you running after after a stage race or after a tour, they must think you're crazy. Yeah, that, that's it. I mean, they, I wouldn't, uh, for sure. I mean, Tim Kerrison is always thinking outside the square. I mean, he mm-hmm. came to, the when he came into, sky the first year he had he had no idea about cycling i mean obviously he come from a rowing background initially incredibly successful as a swimming physiologist and poached you know from from the olympic swimming from british swimming to to team sky and and spent the first year in the car just learning the sport had no idea so he's certainly someone that loves to you know tap into different um, you know, different sports and different ideals. I mean, he went and watched, went and visited the UFC when he was in America with us. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, he's he's just fascinated by different ideas and um, and uh, yeah, for sure. There's it was funny, you know. I'm sure Fruby wouldn't mind me saying this, but after that stage in the in in the Giro where he blew the race to pieces, the solo attack, I um I I just sort of I said. You know, because everyone was saying, oh, he's going to be tired tomorrow. I was thinking, I said to Fal, my wife, were watching it on TV. And I'd obviously spent a lot of time with him leading up and keep in touch. I said, he's not, he looks great. You know, he's just, he's not overextending. Yeah, he's done a big attack. He's got himself comfortable. He's just done a good steady effort. And I said, uh, sent a message. I said, mate, you, you know, great effort. You actually look great. You know, you look nice and fresh. Probably also trying to convince him that, you know, he looked good. <laughs> so he didn't start thinking he was tired. And he wrote back, he said, yeah, mate. No, it was just like a just like an Ironman effort, you know. Try to stay around 300 watts. Try not to go over 400 watts too often, and uh, yeah, keep it nice and smooth. And I was like, "Damn, what a what a response!" Like he referenced what you know we've talked about with regarding what I do in an Ironman with how he'd ridden 
a stage and won, you know, won the Giro in such spectacular fashion. So there's no doubt that, you know, what I do and spending time with the guys, you know, obviously it has an impact. And certainly when they're training, you know, particularly in LA um, with G, I've noticed, you know, the first year, um, you know, the first few days that it'd be, you know, we'd meet up for the rides. And then when he realized that he was meeting me after swimming, he'd start getting on the bike an hour and a half early and do an extra hour. And then when he knew I was running, he'd, oh, well, I'll, I'll come to your place and grab a coffee with you. And you, so you can get a bit of caffeine in you for your run. And then I'll go off and do another little loop and then go home, you know? And so little things like that. Um, and, you know, Pavel uh, as well, I've noticed around here, you know, and today, like I went off and, and swam and of course he went and did an extra bit you know and so um, <laughs> and i guess that's where tim Kerris and he doesn't even have to say anything i mean he doesn't say anything he just mm. says yeah train with cameron <laughs> and, um, and uh i wouldn't say it just takes care of it so i'm not trying to prove anything i'm just doing what i need to do and um i guess you're trying to just lead by example i guess and that's always the best way and um yeah uh, so I think it's it certainly had a positive impact or an eight a impact. You know, I'm sure they might've got the same result doing it some other way, but this yeah. is the way we've done it. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think it is, it's never been done until it's done. Yeah. Until you have uh, put a new level for training or how much, how much can you train? How intense can you train? And everybody yeah. thinks, okay, that's, that's as fast as you can go. When I, I, I thought it was interesting when they said, obviously the four minute mark was broken in running for the mile. Okay. And, and everyone, so that's impossible. Nobody can run as fast. And then it was broken. And suddenly after a couple of days later, lots of people or weeks later, a lot of people ran uh, as fast because in, in their mind, it was not possible. And once once they see it, it is possible to run after uh, a race and run another 30 kilometers. They think, okay, then we can't be so tired. If he's not so tired, how can we not? I think you yeah. set an example, maybe for these guys. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I guess in Ironman terms, it's funny, you know, eight hours was like the big barrier. Yes. Um, and then I came out in Italy and, and I think what's been great about me being in the sport, because I came from like last, you know, when I first did a race as a pro, I was a long way behind because uh, I couldn't run. And so I've gradually, you know, passed this guy and passed that guy and passed that guy and part, you know, it's been a very gradual, um, trajectory, which is what it should be because otherwise you start asking questions or people ask questions about what's going on. Um, yeah. But when I went and ran 7.45, 7.46, all of a sudden, a couple of weeks later, there was a guy from uh, Germany, Franz Lochte, I think was his name. He went 7.45 in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Skipper then went to 7.45 in uh, Florida. And then Alistair Brownlee went 7.45 in Bustleton. And mm -hmm. uh, it just became the new time, you know? Whereas I guess when Jan was doing that stuff, everyone's like, whoa, it's Jan. Oh, wow, no one could ever, you know, it's Jan. He's the which he is. I mean, he obviously showed in Kona last year. He's, he's still, when he needs to lift, he's a great champion and he, he takes it to that next level. But I guess when he was doing those crazy things, no one ever thought, oh, well, we can do that. They're just like, oh, that's yarn. But yet when I go and do it, all of a sudden everyone feels like they can. And um, which is annoying for me because it'd be nice if I got to stay if they all thought breaking eight hours was good but um but i'm actually really proud of that because i feel like the sport you know has progressed a lot since i've been a part of it and um and it's a great i mean we're racing now we are racing these things you know we are not out there just sort of plodding along it's on you know and uh 
well, as much as you can handle for that period of time anyway. And it's really exciting. It's, a, it's an exciting time in the sport. So, um, yeah, you're right. It's, uh, it's all up here. And, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm confident we're gonna, I'm going to get faster. And if I get faster, I'm sure a lot of the guys will get faster. So. We have to stay with you. Yeah. Otherwise, they get dropped. Yes, very good. Yeah. And we, we have obviously some big community in Dubai. We have Try Dubai, which is one of the most successful clubs and one of one of the really big clubs here. We have a My Try Dubai club um, yeah. where they have all the juniors as well training. So do you have some tips for people when they, when they, or what's your, what's your best tip for swimming when, when it comes to triathlon? Um, yeah. I mean, I always, people always ask, you know, the crazy thing, I've only been doing the sport a few years. I don't really feel like I, <laughs> I know, but the big thing with the swim is that you, it really sets up your day. I mean, part, of course, it's the first thing, yes. you know, being as competent as swimmer, if you're not a good swimmer, like make, take the effort to learn to swim, because mm -hmm. I guarantee that if you just improve quite a lot in the swim, you're going to improve quite a lot on the bike because you're going to get out of the water. You're going to feel good. You're going to feel, you're going to feel better. And you'll get on the bike. You'll ride better. I said, if you're struggling in that swim, um, you're going to struggle all day. You know, you're not going to get on top of it. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a, just a horrible way to start the day. I mean, I've had bad swims and you're behind and you got it, you know, even in Kona last year, I was sort of at the wrong end of the pack and never got to the front, you know, made it really hard day mentally compared to previous, the previous year where I'd had a great swim at the front of the main pack and then been able to get to the front really quickly and then push on. Yeah. So, you know, it can change that dynamic changes so much in the swim. So firstly, if you're not, and then if you are, a, you know, as far as swimming tip, just make sure you can swim the distance. You know, I mean, just go and swim. If it's an Ironman, make sure you can swim 4k, you know, comfortably put jump, put on your wetsuit and, you know, once a week or once every couple of weeks in, you know, the, the five or six couple of months leading up to the race, just, just swim for, don't worry about the time or the speed or anything, but just do it. Even if it's in a pool. I mean, I actually did before Italy last year, almost swimming in a 25 meter pool. And, um, I swam 46 minutes, you know, and that's, that's quite fast. You know I mean? With a wetsuit, I'm quite a fast swimmer with, with the best yet when I take a wetsuit off, it's obviously quite a bit harder too. So, well that's where you that's where it highlights the really good swimmers from the good swimmers mm -hmm. and um so that's really my key i mean as far as efforts go everyone does the same stuff you know yeah. 400 300 200 100 times two or three you know is a pretty simple heart rate set you know your hundreds you know 10 hundreds 20 hundreds couple of sets of 10 hundreds i mean that's all pretty you know you read that in any book and everyone basically will do the same sort of stuff but as far as specific stuff for a race, you know, firstly, become a competent swimmer and then, uh, and then next, make sure you can just swim the distance comfortably. So, because that just getting through that swim well, just changes the whole event for you. What do you think for cycling? Do you think a lot of people are too concerned about the data and power instead of feeling the speed of the bike and, and understanding the course and where to pick up speed and order. What's your tip for, for cycling? Yeah. I mean, the, the feel, I mean, the feel for speed is a big thing. I mean, that's, you really need to develop that from a lot of time on the bike. And, um, I guess to really maximize that, you have to have quite a big capacity. You have to be able to go quite hard at times and then know when to back it off and, and to really, uh, really understand it. I mean, I think, I think one thing that I learned early on 
was we tried to spend a lot of time on the time trial bike, on the triathlon bike um, back in 2017. And I just went backwards real quick. You know, I, I just really lost, you know, you compromised in power. You, you're just not in a stronger position. And I got weaker and, um, you know, I didn't feel good. So we just sort of scrapped that, you know, because I'd always been reasonably good at just getting on the time trial bike and, and being able to produce power and go quite quick. So I do, yeah, yeah, often 90% of my training on the road bike and, and just do enough on the time trial bike to be comfortable, um, you know, to, so that it's not a shock to the system on race day. Um, the only thing that gets sore is my neck because you're not used to <laughs> doing that. But, um, but I can deal with that the day after the race. That's not a problem. But, um, yeah, I, so I find that, yeah, I find that one interesting with triathlete. They tend to spend, I mean, sometimes you've only got one bike, so you don't have a choice. But um, if, you, if you can, you know, I'd, I'd, um, I'd be on the most comfortable bike possible for a majority of your work. And then maybe just a key session or a couple of key sessions a week on your actual time trial bike in the position because, yeah, it's it's just not the it's just not as strong as as being in a comfortable normal position even if it's a mountain bike or something else just something different to to that time trial position. And you, I know you like your clothing. Do you think this is a big part and the, the helmet as well? You're working with the stallion with cars. So I think this is this is as well a tip to don't think too much about maybe about the frame and the wheels. It's it's really the body which creates a lot of resistance. Yeah, I mean if you have a thousand dollars to spend, I'd spend seven hundred on the suit and <laughs> not really worry too much about uh, yeah, and then the helmet and then the bike. Um, so um, yeah, I guess personally, I mean in twenty seventeen it was still sort of in the early stages and at that point we didn't know if I'd really go in line with the team completely or not. So I actually tested a lot of different things, a lot of different stuff. In fact I used the Roka suit in Kona in twenty seventeen. Um and uh yeah, we did obviously extensive uh, so yeah, I did extensive testing even in competition and um and arrived at the partners that I have now, which I feel are the best. And I was talking last night um, to my wife, actually, we were talking about, you know, changing you know, sponsors. Not, not that I'm, I'm going to, but other, I was a friend of mine who's yeah. looking at changing a lot of things. I was thinking, gosh, I just couldn't, it takes so long to develop that relationship with those partners. I mean, to the point now with Castelli, um, I know they're at the cutting edge and I just, They'll, they'll say, look, Cameron, we've got a new suit. You know, you know, you test it, let us know. I just say, just give it to me. You know, I just put it on. And they look at me like, you're not going to do it. I was like, no, that's your job. You know, you guys know what you're doing. And um, and they put a huge amount of uh, time and effort and research into, you know, the, not only fast. I mean, I said a big thing. It's one thing to have a fast suit on the bike, but you got to run in it. And so it's got to be comfortable. And um, I think, I think as far as the suits go, Castelli now has done an incredible job. You know, in Italy last year, I swam with the suit up under my wetsuit. So, you know, the flexibility in the shoulders, obviously the bike, you know, I smashed the bike record there by a long, a lot. Um, and then was able to run, you know, extremely comfortably in the marathon. Um, so, you know, the suit is great for a triathlon suit. And um, yeah, so they've been fantastic and then and then cask obviously have, you know i mean you, you only got to look at yeah okay they sponsor ineos but ineos is like me they can they can choose anyone they want really um so 
but you look at other national teams and all different team individuals when they get an option, you know, like Rowan Dennis last year at Worlds, he had the choice to, you know, because he walked out on his team to use whatever he wanted. He had a cast helmet on. So, you know, that stuff sort of speaks for itself, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I'm the same with Nike with the shoes. That's obviously pretty easy. <laughs> you know, they're the best. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't even get involved in product development or anything like that really now because I just have 100% faith in my partners that, you know, they they want me to be successful as much as I want to be successful. So, um, uh, and, and but I think that, you know, racing at the highest level helps them develop and test and, and find out and refine. And, um, and I think that's where you've always got to look, you know, what the best are using. Because I'll tell you this now, you know, no amount of money in the world for a big champion will have them use something that isn't any good. You know, they're, <laughs> they're going to use what's the best. And um, so, um, you know, this team, yeah, as I said, it's a pretty yeah. good place to start with what Ineos use. <laughs> We're working with Castelli and, and Casca for over many years, and it's really nice to meet them in Italy and see the passion they have and, and how much time they really spend in the wind tunnel to develop the, the fastest suits and stuff. It's really, really nice to see that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, exactly. The factory there, and it's so, like, I mean, the Italians are wonderful. I mean, I, as you know, I rode with Liquid Gas and lived in mm -hmm. Italy for a long time, and I just love that family you know, like Fausto Pinarello, like I go to the, the Pinarello factory and, mm -hmm. you know, we take the dog and we're wandering around and everyone's just so excited to see you. I mean, you see these brands all over the world yet, you know, you, you it all comes from like, yeah, it really feels like a little family when you're at their headquarters. And um, and then also, you know, how excited they are when, when you succeed, you know. I mean, it was the coolest thing ever to win Ironman Italy last year because I picked up the new bike, I think, on the Thursday drove down to Chervia, like we flew across from Barcelona, you know, on the, on the, on the Wednesday night, we, we went into the factory Thursday, had the new bike with the 3d bars and everything drove down to Chervia, you know, they came down to visit me a couple of the staff on the Friday before the race. And then obviously Saturday one. Um, and then Monday we were flying out for Kona, but I had to go and pick up another road bike to take with me. And just the excitement on everyone's face, you know, when you walked into the factory, you know, after winning, um, it was just, yeah, because that's what they do it for, you know. I mean, um, you, you're there to, 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 you know, show how good the product is, you know, help sell the, help sell the stuff. I mean, that's obviously part of your job. Um, but, you know, the, the, they just are genuinely very passionate about what they do. And, and that's what gives me belief that, you know, I, I wouldn't even care if they gave me the worst bike in the world. You know, I know it's not. <laughs> like they, I 100% trust them that they're going to do everything they possibly can in their power to give you the best equipment. And uh, obviously, same with Castelli and same with Cass. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, incredible partners and great people. What do you think for running? What What is a? I think you have improved quite a lot. You're running uh, over, the, over the last year. So how did this come along? And what did you change in, in terms of your running style? How did you improve so much? I was really fortunate, as I said, with the Nike thing. You know, I was at Red Bull yeah. a few years ago and, and we got involved with those guys. But the thing was that also coincided with that new shoe being developed. And so I learned to run basically with that new shoe. You know, I mean, that was basically the first running shoes that I had. And so I've developed like that forward lean and, and I guess they've molded my technique around how to get the most out of that particular shoe. And... Um, 
that's certainly been a huge part of it, you know, without a doubt. Uh, I mean, the first part, I needed a lot of support in the shoe. I needed, you know, quite a solid inner sole to keep my foot upright. And then uh, we did that for about a year. And then after a year, they said, right, okay, it's time to get rid of that. You need to learn to basically run with nothing because you get more performance from the shoe. And so, because I was thinking, why do all these high performance shoes have no, basically no support? And Mm -hmm. uh, it's, yeah, their their feet and everything are so strong and their ankles and everything that they don't need it. Even if you've got a high arch, like you just, you can deal with it. And so over time, I was actually at Nike when with the, with the soles um, last May and I was walking along and it was squeaking and they're like, can you hear that? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And so they pulled them out and squeaking stopped and they said, they gave me the lesson on it. And so, yeah, that was the big change, I guess, from May through till, you know, September when I went to Italy yeah. um, and now obviously, and then obviously on to Kona. And now I, yeah, obviously don't need any support in the shoe either. So, but as far as the way improving goes, I think consistency. So I haven't been injured once. I mean, not nothing, like absolutely nothing, no injuries at all for a couple of years. Um, well, since I've been running, you know, with these guys and, you know, it's and also understanding what we're trying to achieve here. I mean, I'm not trying to race ITU. I'm not trying to run a 30 minute 10K. So, you know, learning to run, you know, a lot of the running, well, all the running is basically on tired legs because, you know, there's not a lot of point running when you're fresh um, because you're never going to be like that in the race. And also when you do run super fast or try to run super fast, that's when you increase the, the, the you know, the risk of injury. Mm-hmm. But even if you look at the fastest Ironman run, you know, like a, say a 240, I mean, yeah. that's the two, 350-ish kilometer average. Yeah. So even if you're running 330, that is a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Yet that can actually feel pretty comfortable for, for intervals or efforts or whatever. So um, that's, I guess, been a big thing is, is having knowing that you've got these incredibly bright minds sort of telling you to not over push it. It's better to do better volume and more consistent volume um, and at a, at a lower intensity than try and push the envelope and end up injured and not be able to run for two weeks or be too tired to run properly tomorrow. So um, I think that's the, that's the key is I've needed to do a lot of running back to back to back to back to back weeks um, to get to a point where it becomes just rudimentary. You know, you can just dial up that pace and just sort of grind it out. And, and now I've, you know, started running pretty consistently around that, you know, 250 to mid 240s range. And um, ideally that'll, you know, I think just over time by continuing to run more, that's obviously going to keep coming down um, because, you know, that's just what happens when you do more of something. So, uh, yeah, so that's the big thing with running. I think, um, yeah, uh, identifying what you're actually trying to do, particularly in Ironman and uh, racing and and looking at the speed of that and, and realizing that you don't need to, go out and run a four minute mile every day to, <laughs> to be a better runner for a triathlon. Yeah. Interesting. We know now nutrition and recovery. We know Frappuccino. I know you have a heart for Milky Way. Yeah. Uh, Mars bar. Yeah. Milky Way. Depending what country I'm in. Yeah. Okay. I had them on the bike every now and then. Yeah. I, I'd like to, I used to have a lot of gels. Like I had like 12 gels and it sort of just got a bit much. And I, so I started splitting at six gels and then, something else you know and so it was either cliff blocks or or a mars bar or two mars bars or, or milky ways or 
those things like some sort of solid on the bike you know i mean let's face it there's you you're sort of just topping it up anyway so um and the bike's really the last sort of chance to i guess probably get down some solids so um yeah i find it good to have something like that it's obviously caramel and chocolate and milks and pretty it's actually quite easy to digest and gives you that good fix so um yeah it works <laughs> you recently have become your, your wife and you became parents and you have a you have a son now yeah um Boy. six weeks seven weeks or how, how yeah he's eight weeks old now yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. how did this change your your mindset did you feel any different is this is this a change for you or how how is it Uh, yeah i mean obviously it gives you a different perspective every day of you know you got to look after a human so when you're doing your job you you want to make sure you do it properly um yeah i uh i mean i got an incredible wife and and she loves being a mother and you know she's just you know really embraced it and he's been he's been really really good you know he sleeps well he eats a lot and you know we've been really blessed with that um And uh, I guess this period, you know, uh, sort of, I mean, I guess with Ironman, you're home. If I was just doing Ironman, I'd be home all the time anyway. But if I'd been racing with the team, you know, it could have been a bit different. I might have been away and missing bits and pieces. So it's obviously been quite a gift to be to be home, um, to be home here and see everything day by day, see him change. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that, I certainly can't use him as an excuse for not training properly or, uh, or anything else. He, uh, yeah, he sleeps well. He doesn't mind if I'm not home all day and, um, still gives me a hug when I get home at night. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, great. Yeah. Everyone says it's the greatest thing. And you, you, you obviously don't know until you've, until you got one, but, uh, yeah, it's certainly, um, I think it'll give me a little, a little bit of an extra edge once we get back to competition. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> looking back into your career and and you would think now if you could give yourself a tip starting around 2003 and you say okay Cameron this is what you should do or that this is what you should change what you learned today and what tip would you give yourself uh, when you started your career believe in um believe in your, your your process you know I mean I've I've always been really good at training you know and physiologically you know even with liquid gas that was largely based on a lab test i mean i okay. i think i broke i broke fabian cancellara's you know like you know aerobic power record at the map center you know um so i on a lab bike i'm quite strong and um and so obviously at home and i work hard and obviously eat well and do all that for, for i think literally that entire first part of my career rowing and even, um, you know, and cycling. Um, I'd go to a race and then get told to do something different. You know, I've always eaten well and, and done things like that, stretching and whatever. And, um, and and then I'd go there and they'd tell you to have pasta for breakfast. I mean, that's something I would never do. <laughs> Yet you have a bad day and then they tell you, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You know, you should have been having pasta for breakfast at home and then you'll try that at the you it just doesn't work for you in training. And then you turn up to the next race and you go crap. And, you know, it just sort of spirals as, you know, I guess getting back to, a, I always felt like I always had the work ethic. I've always worked hard yet, particularly in cycling. I just wasn't performing at the level that I believed I could. And I guess others believed I could, you know, I mean, they used, I used to be able to, I mean, I, I mean, I broke 
Ivan Basso's climbing records all around Varese. And um, yeah, yeah, in theory, I should have been able to be quite good. And, um, and I wasn't. So now I, I watched a documentary on Carl uh, Lewis, certainly one of my heroes. And he was talking about LA Olympics in 84 and how much pressure he was under to win those three gold medals. And it was obviously huge. And what he did was he rented a massive house in West Hollywood, so quite close to the Coliseum. And he had all his family and friends and you know, the people he liked to have around him at that house. And so what he would do is he'd go to training and go back to the house. He'd sleep in the village at night, but he'd go in after dinner, after all that, just go back to the village, get in his bed, go to sleep. He didn't want to be around all the hype and all of this and all of that and the media and everything. And then he'd go to the stadium he's, and he'd go to the stadium, he'd warm up, he'd race back to the house, you know. And then it wasn't until he won the relay that he sort of stopped and realised, wow, I'm here it is. I've got the third gold medal and <laughs> that was amazing. And so I guess I noticed, you know, with Ironman, all of a sudden I was very consistent with my performance, but a lot of it was because, you know, Fallon is, she's actually studying a master in holistic nutrition, so she loves cooking and loves all that. So you know, I eat very well at home now, even better. And, and we've been at a lot of team camps together. I mean, she's come to a lot of them. And so she's seen how the team chefs cook. She's helped them cook at times. And so then when we go to a race, like we rent a house or an apartment or whatever, we have our own kitchen. The routine is the same. We even take the dog, you know, anywhere in Europe or the US, the dog comes too. So you wake up in the morning at 3.30 and you got to kick the dog off your feet. And, you know, keeping that routine. Mm-hmm. Trust it, you know, you spend 99% of your time at home or in that training environment, you know, to, to go to a race and then sort of basically toss it all out the window and do something completely different. Now, when I look back, it doesn't make any sense. And, um, and really, it's been the biggest difference, I think, now um, for me. And even now, when I go to races with the team and the chef, I can eat what I want. I can get up and stretch and do whatever else I want to do. And no one's going to question that, you know, in this team, it's um you know, you're open-minded like that so yeah yeah if you you gotta you just gotta trust your process it's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else is doing but mm-hmm. um you know you just got to believe believe in yourself i mean certainly the i mean that's <laughs> everyone says it all the time a race isn't the time to try new things <laughs> it's always the hardest thing particularly in triathlon to actually do that you know you hear about this fast tire or this fast suit or this fast helmet or this better wetsuit or these new goggles or whatever and you think oh great i'll get them shoes and then yeah so practice all that at home <laughs> you're watching some inspirational things uh, on, on netflix and i know you're a big fan of floyd mayweather mm-hmm. is there any other sports person you follow any other sports team um yeah i mean yeah huge fan of the boxing i mean i love tom brady i love american football i've really got into that um tom brady goes goes back to 2004 when i was at the institute of sport trying to qualify for the olympics and uh and they won the super bowl that year and that was sort of like the first time i'd ever watched nfl because they had cable there and you know you're home you know you literally you know when you're at home in tassie i'd be studying or whatever so you you sort of didn't have all day to do to sort of lounge around so I could watch it. But then I found out his birthday is the same day as mine, the 3rd of August. So um, I'm, yeah, huge fan of, huge fan of Brady's. Um, Kip Chogi, obviously, you know, I I truly, I mean, what he's done for the sport of running, particularly marathon. I mean, he's made marathon a popular 
you know, mainstream sport, you know, one guy. I mean, guy's been running that thing forever and he's transcended it and, and made it exciting and cool to do. Um, so he's, um, he's, he's definitely another one. You know, I, I love Michael Jordan's story, um, you know, watching obviously The Last Dance. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think what I admire about the combat sports is, you know, we get, we get beaten in a race and we go home and yeah, sort of lick your wounds. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, have an ice bath and you know, have a good feed, and it'll be okay in the morning. I mean, they go home and they get beaten. They've been beaten up. So, just that mind, that that uh, work ethic, you know, um, not leaving a stone unturned. And someone like him, who's had all the greatest uh, athletes come at him, and he's been able to, you know, beat them all. Um, you know, it's. I love. I love when the, the the favorite wins you know i love the underdog don't get me wrong but and often i'm rooting i barrack for the underdog yet i have to admire when the favorite wins because everyone knows what to i mean i used to love watching i still do love watching him philippe gilbert in the classics mm-hmm. and you know that if there's that climb like two three k to go like he's going to attack you just know it's going to happen and he sure enough he does it and he wins and yeah. everyone knew and yeah. you get slipstream and you can't stay on his wheel, you know, those moments. I, I really think, wow, to be the man and come out on top. That's, uh, that's, that's the moments I really, I really admire in sport. Mm. Fantastic. I have a few short questions because I think we really <laughs> we spend a lot of time. I take a lot of your time. So thank you. Um, the best day of your career. Yeah. Um, it's funny, Geraint Thomas asked me this recently. So the the best day of my career would be when I qualified for Kona as a pro the first time. Um, I'd just been at a camp with Froomey. Uh, uh, it was in between the Tour and the Vuelta in 2017. And I had one race left. It was literally on the last day you know, of the qualification. You had to be in the top 50 in the world. And that was our first year of working with Tim and obviously being around Froomey a lot. And I remember Froome, said to me, you know, just before I left to go to that race and he was off to the welter, he said, listen, mate, like you only need to do what you're capable of doing. You know, you're more than capable of getting this done. Like don't overthink it. And um, yeah, went, I mean, I had an okay swim. I got in great position on the bike and then, you know, ran my best run ever. I mean, at that point, the best run I'd done was I think a 310. I think that day I ran a 301 or 302. And um, I came second. I got caught in the last sort of 10K by a, quite a fast runner, Clemente Alonso McKernan. And I, I sort of didn't even bother trying to go with him, but he ended up coming back towards me at the end. But, you know, I was more worried about not coming third than winning and, um, and qualifying for Kona. And so that feeling, you know, it had happened also in rowing, you know, the first selection race, which really set me up for those trials. I won by like 0.02 of a second. You know, it was like the tiniest margin. But if I'd been beaten, you know, the story could have been entirely different. I, we might not even be here. And same thing happened in cycling. The first year I did a, a, a time trial in France and I had to win to go to Worlds. And uh, I won by 0.07 of a second. And um, and so, you know, the difference, the margin between that and that, and that was the same in Ironman. And obviously from then on, Things have been fantastic, but they, that feeling that day, particularly particularly having done it on the run, you know, like something that everyone had sort of said, give me a hard time about, or said I wouldn't, I can't run, he can't run, he'll never learn to run. It was like a great way to say, you know what, guys, 
I'm going to figure it out and you're going to have to worry about me in the future. So, um, yeah, that was really special. If you had a time machine, would you go forward or backwards? Um, I'd just stay right where I am. I mean, yeah. I, I, every everything that happens to me right now is just an absolute gift. And everything that has happened is a lesson. And um, I don't regret any of it. You know, I mean, there's no way you could script where I'm at now. Um, and and because of how that's all panned out is is why I'm here, you know. And uh, uh, so, no, I, I, man, I wouldn't trade where I'm at for anything. I absolutely love every day, the challenge of every day, um, getting up and, you know, training hard. And, you know, when we get a chance, going to race and, yeah, no, nah, I'd stay right here. I'd, I'd put it on pause. <laughs> very good, very good. If you had to write a book about your career, uh, your memorandum, uh, or your, your memories, um, what would be the title of the of the book? Um, it was all worth it. <laughs> worth it. <laughs> it was all worth it. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very good. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I have one last one. If you could spend one day with a person dead or alive, anyone, who would that be? You know what, right now, probably my parents. <laughs> I haven't seen them. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, they haven't met our grandson, their grandson, our, the kid. Um, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, a, a, a leader, I guess I've, I've always admired Nelson Mandela. Okay. I, he's, I love his quote, you know, a winner is a dreamer that never gives up. Um, and I'm not a prolific winner. I'll never be a prolific winner. I've lost way too many times to be ever known in history as a prolific winner, even if I was to win everything from now on. But um, I've never been afraid to dream. And, uh, and I don't know what that final one will be or thing or event or whatever, where, where I'll end up. But um, yeah, I, I loved his optimism, obviously what he did uh, for the movement and um, what he went through, you know, the long walk to freedom, read that. Um, yeah, I think it'd be pretty fascinating to spend, spend some time with him, Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Uh, Cameron, hey, it has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Um, I'm really looking forward to see you smashing it with Ineos. I'm looking forward to see you. Uh, I'm, yeah, well, obviously I'm German. I'm, I'm, I hope that it's going to be a good battle and, and that the best man wins. Um, exactly. That's all you want. That's all I yeah. say. I mean, that everyone asked about Kona and I said, well, I want Kona to be on again when all the best guys can be at their best yeah. and can go there and give Kona the race it deserves. Um, you know, and, and that's particularly last year. I felt, you know, obviously the two years before that, I mean, Jan, you know, had a bit of a rough day and then yes. obviously he didn't even turn, he couldn't come, he didn't come the other year and, you know, he had sort of very different guys with the way the tactics played out, obviously more against me than anything. Um, whereas I felt like last year was the Kona we all deserved, everyone deserved to see all the best guys at the front racing each other. Um, and that was such an honour. I mean, if I'd come fifth, if, if that field from... The year before 2018, I'd come fifth in that field last year. I would have been devastated, you know, really disappointed. Mm -hmm. But to come fifth to those guys, to Yarn Sebi, you know, to Tim O'Donnell and, and uh, Ben Hoffman, you know, all guys that have come second or won it, 
yeah. <laughs> in yeah. the past, yeah. you know, it was a, was a huge honour. So, um, yeah, I will get back to Kona when, uh, when, when all the best guys can be there at their best. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I'll be racing my bike. It sounds like potentially a bit more than I expected. So um, that's really yeah. exciting for me. And, uh, you know, and, and one of my biggest objectives now is making the world's team. You know, as there's no Ironmans to worry about, I would love to make the Australian team for the Road Worlds and see what I can do there. I mean, I've been on the team a couple of times, so it'd be great to, yeah. As I said, I, I, I can't afford to look back or look too far in front of me because it's just an absolute dream come true doing what I'm doing. And um, I just, you know, I'm excited about getting up tomorrow and going out and doing it all again. <laughs> when, when are we going to see you next racing with Ineos? What's the next event? Um, not sure. I mean, it'll be something in August. We've got to talk about that now, but it sounds like a lot of the one day. I mean, I, as I said, I would really like to do Worlds. I won't do the tour. There's no way I'll do the tour. Well, actually, I wouldn't say there's no way, um, but at the moment, I'm not down to do the tour. But the idea is that I try and qualify for Worlds. Um, so do a bunch of one day racing, which is also what I need. Um, I can grind out a, you know, a tour or a one week stage race and survive in the bunch, but a one day race you can't hide it's full mm -hmm. gas from the gun and that's sort of what i need to get myself going again so i'd love to do milan san remo that's in early august um, there's a lot of races in italy the smaller races there and um you know who knows some of the maybe some of the early classics in um in september and and then the plan is for me to do the vuelta after that so uh after world so um that's that's sort of the plan now and, and then if kona goes ahead as planned in february then we'll obviously switch gears, so to speak, and get back in the pool and, uh, or make getting back in the pool and running a priority. Obviously, as you know, I'll be running and swimming the whole time yeah. when I'm at races, you know, where I can, but certainly when I'm home a lot. So, um, yeah, moment one day races is, uh, is that and then the welter and, um, we'll see after that, but first maybe things first, everyone's healthy <laughs> and safe. Maybe a 70.3 in Dubai. I, you have never been in Dubai, so it would be obviously fantastic to have you here and, and show you the city and show you around. Mm, I'd love to do that. I mean, if that race goes ahead, it's an easy flight from here. And um, like I said to you in the in a message, I, I've never been out of the airport and uh, I've only heard incredible things. In fact, Frumi and I have spoken at length about it. He actually bought some apartments there. And um, okay. yeah, he, he says it's an um, yeah, incredible place. So um yeah, I'd love to get there for that event. It's quite a fast, fast course too. So, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see if it goes. I think it's December generally, so around that time somewhere. I haven't looked to see. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm not sure how it works out this year because of all the uh, yeah events. So I'm not sure what they're planning. Yeah, I, who knows? Maybe they'll have the worlds there. I know they've cancelled. They've definitely cancelled the worlds in New Zealand. So, um, if things are in a better situation there, that that could be an option. So. Be like the UFC, Fight Island. Yes. Half yeah. Ironman Island. <laughs> yeah. Cameron, thanks again. Fantastic. Uh, we have next week, we have a, as well an absolutely outstanding person as a guest. Uh, she was the first Arab female to finish an Ironman, a successful businesswoman, a mother of three. Uh, Dina Al Tayeb, a real. A, a, a 2017, was it, or 18? 18, she did Kona, maybe. Yes. Yes. Eight. Yeah. And I, I, I think she went there more than once. It's really amazing how she went through all these events and, and a really yeah. outstanding person. Um, yeah. and, and we've seen her all her career. She's coming to Dubai, training in Dubai, obviously 
a very difficult situation training in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Uh, but determination is, is absolutely un unbelievable. So um, I'm, I'm really looking forward for next uh, Wednesday to speak to her. Yeah, awesome. Thank great. you. Yeah. Fantastic. Cameron, thank you for your time. You're a real inspiration, incredible okay. story. Um, and, and I'm really looking forward to see you racing. Thanks so everyone. <laughs> so am I. I'm looking forward to you guys seeing me race. Look <laughs> after you. your wife and, and to your child. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you everyone for watching. Have a good evening. Bye.